The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to this Monday edition of Sportbox. You're watching it live from Elmau, Germany, where the G7 leaders are meeting and in London with Jeff and Karen. And these are your headlines. G7 leaders are ratcheting up the pressure on Moscow, working on deals for a price cap on Russian oil and an import ban on Russian gold. Our nations and our world stand at a genuine inflection point in history. The choices we make now in my view, are going to set a direction of our world for several generations to come. Russia defaults on its foreign debt for the first time in more than a century, with Western sanctions cutting off Moscow's ability to pay foreign bondholders. The Bank for International Settlements warning the world is reaching a tipping point on inflation, with the so-called Central Bank of Central Banks calling for urgent and decisive action. Executives at France's largest energy firms urged consumers to conserve gas, warning of social tensions next winter unless reserves are replenished. The S&P 500 posts its biggest one-day rally since May 2020, but U.S. stocks are still on track for their worst first half in more than 50 years. So very good morning, everybody. Let's uh, get into your headline story this morning. The uh, G7 is working on a deal to cap the price of Russian oil. U.S. President Joe Biden called for the group to, quote, stay together to get an agreement across the line as leaders meet in the Bavarian Alps this week. Under the proposed scheme, shipping and insurance services covering the transport of Russian crude would be limited in Europe so that they would only be available if the importer kept in line with the price cap. Now, talks on the proposal will continue today as leaders are joined by partner countries including India, Argentina and South Africa. The European Council President Charles Michel said the talks must consider any unintended impact of further sanctions. We want to go more into the details, we, we want to fine-tune, we want to make sure that uh, if we were to go in the direction uh, we will uh, have uh, the need for the support of the 27 European Union member states and we want to make sure that, uh, uh, like I said just before, uh, the goal is well to target uh, Russia and not to make our life more difficult and more complex. The G7 is also preparing to announce a ban on imports of Russian gold. President Biden said the move would help deny Russian President Vladimir Putin of the revenue needed to continue funding the war in Ukraine. The UK says the measure will prevent oligarchs from buying gold in order to get around Western sanctions, with exports from the country coming in at $15.5 billion last year. Russia has defaulted on its foreign debt for the first time in more than 100 years after the grace period on around $100 million worth of interest payments due last month expired. The Kremlin says it has been unable to send money to bondholders because of Western sanctions and has accused Western nations of trying to force it into artificial default. 
Let's get out to Steve. He is surrounded by lush forest in the Bavarian Alps. Steve, looking very pretty this morning, but uh, big issues at play as we talk about the macroeconomic backdrop and the war in Ukraine. Yeah, thanks very much indeed, Karen. Look, um, as, as I'm sure the viewers are aware, I've been to various G7, G8 and G20 summits over the years and, and all the same issues that are at the, the, the basis of these meetings are still there. You, the, the, the issues about globalisation, the, the issues about the role of the West, the issues about capitalism, about the underlying economies as well, about the energy transition, about digitisation. But, but there is no doubt about it. The epicentre of absolutely everything that is going on here uh, in this stunning part of Bavaria uh, over these three days is about Ukraine and the reaction of the West and indeed how they support Ukraine and continue uh, to sanction Russia as well. But what about the ripple effects as well? Because they are really, really beginning to affect not just the Western economy, but the global economy. So let's start off on a couple of the issues. And I do want to just put a, the broader conversation in before we go into the specifics, as we will do uh, in blocks throughout the show, because this is about the unity as well uh, of the Western alliance. You cannot look at this meeting here at the G7 without looking at what the EU response and without looking at what the NATO response is as well. And Hadley will be picking up the baton uh, from tomorrow as well, of course, when we have the start of the uh, key NATO meeting, which all the leaders here uh, will be hot-footing it down uh, to that meeting after as well. So it's about the unified response, the joined-up response from all those Western liberal organisations that near the start of the war, everyone was saying, well, look, this has reinvigorated the Western alliance. It's reinvigorated uh, the liberal democracies. Well, the question is, has it? And will it do so over the medium term as well? So there are a lot of people watching to see whether that unity is real or just in word. And of course, we saw lots of signs of the unity yesterday. There was a, a jocular session where they're all pretty much making jokes at President Putin's expense about showing their muscularity, about showing their pecs, whether they needed to get their jackets off as well. Uh, and also then later on, we saw a bilat between Macron uh, and Boris Johnson talking about le bromance and just kind of saying that actually there wasn't as much division between the two sides uh, as had previously thought because Mr. Johnson seen as more hawkish on Russia. Uh, Mr. Macron, of course, looking for potential diplomatic solutions that may well mean not, and I'll quote here, not humiliating Mr Putin. So it's about the unity, but it's also about the message to various constituencies as well, because, of course, uh, there are a lot of authoritarian regimes watching here, not just Russia, but especially China as well, who are looking for any fraying uh, of that compact alliance. And if they do see any signs of weakness, of course, uh, there are many people who think they'll, they will try and build on those divisions as well. But very interesting, I think it was your read, Karen, that talked about the rest of the world coming to this meeting as well. Mr Modi was in Munich last night and is coming here today as well. You've got the Indonesian leadership, the Argentinian leadership, the South African as well, and Senegal, which is head of the African Union. And something I said before when I was at the foreign ministers meeting in, in Weissenhaus, uh, and that is that the G7 is struggling to convince the rest of the world that this is not the West and Europe versus Russia. This is a, a whole world issue as well. And of course, with the cost of living crisis we're seeing, not only in the West, but especially being fought uh, uh, in areas such as Africa, where there are concerns about famine, concerns about food security, concerns about energy prices as well. So they are struggling in the West at the moment to convince the rest of the world that this is a, a worthy cause that the whole world needs to, needs to get behind uh, and confront Russia with as well. Because there are a lot of people in other parts of the world, no matter what the G7 says, who actually believe that the, some of the problems that are being faced are because of Western sanctions, not because of Russian action.
Steve, behind the uh, unified look and obviously the, the opportunity, as you say, to have a few jokes at Vladimir Putin's expense, there is a much more uh, serious issue about um, the integrity of energy supplies to Europe at this point. And one of the stories that we're reading this morning is about um, French consumers being asked to turn down their energy usage because of concerns about supply. Are we going to see any uh, light here in terms of how the American Americans and the Europeans can work together to make sure the lights don't go out in this continent. Well, look, as we've discussed, um, just purely from an energy perspective, it is very difficult for the U.S. to support in a meaningful way at the moment uh, the replacement of Russian energy to Europe. Now, of course, we've heard it from various administrations, famously, as we've mentioned many times, Mr. Trump uh, bemoaning the European energy situation in 2018 uh, at that NATO meeting. And of course, now with Mr. Biden equally keen uh, on uh, U.S. LNG to cross the Atlantic into uh, terminals this side of but there's no way in a meaningful fashion that can happen in the short term. There is no way in a meaningful fashion you can just prevent the, the problems you've got from Russian gas uh, being offset by Mediterranean gas uh, between uh, Middle Eastern LNG as well. So yes, there is, without doubt, if you push the Russians too hard at this stage, uh, whether it be over this price cap idea, we can explore that uh, in some more detail in a moment as well, that they, they could well just at any stage turn off the taps on the gas and the oil as well. We know know that Europe is working for some form of ban on seaborne oil already uh, coming into the continent. Uh, but that has its ambiguity as well. It has its exemptions as well. Uh, and to open up uh, that debate in order to have a new set of sanctions on Russian oil and gas, that could be quite torturous for 27 nations as well. So that's why I was saying earlier about how difficult it is to get the unity uh, with the US, with the EU, uh, with the other G7 partners and the rest of the world as well. But there is, there is no quick solution. There is no ultimate solution, whether it be uh, um, American LNG or Middle Eastern or Eastern Mediterranean uh, gas products as well, uh, to the turning off of that Russian gas. And that is the great fear as, as they race to fill up the reserves uh, ahead uh, of that key winter season as well. So, yeah, uh, I think some very big divides remain uh, on that oil price story as well. The boils price cap. And how would it work as well? I keep hearing about the removal of shipping services, of insurance services, of financial market services as well. But if the Russian don't play ball and if the rest of the world doesn't play ball how effective is it and that is the big question steve uh, thanks for saying the scene on that as we continue to pick up on the story around french energy ceos we'll come back to you a little bit later on i want to talk about that backdrop to uh, schloss elmo which is apparently a place where intellectuals artists went over the years to think and try and come up with something different uh, to what they had interpreted before they went to this beautiful backdrop so uh, interesting to see where the world leaders are influenced by those surroundings. Well, it'd be nice if they came up with some fresh ideas, wouldn't they? Because let's face it, at the moment, we just seem to be ploughing off in a whole series of set directions based on the way we've approached things in the past. And it would be nice if we had a shift from the groupthink of the old days. You know, the answer to supply side inflation is what? To kill demand by hiking interest rates because central banks only have one tool, which is an interest rate hike to deal with inflation. Maybe we need to rethink some of that. The way to deal with the, the situation in Russia is basically to continue to strangle Europe's own energy supply. Is that the logical approach to this or is it just based on the things we have done in the past? So I hope you're right, Karen. I hope that wonderful setting helps these leaders come up with some more inventive 
and maybe cleverer uh, ways at addressing the crisis that we now see on many fronts, rather than ultimately just one, killing the consumer, mm. and two, ultimately shutting down Europe in energy terms, because we haven't used uh, the, the, the wisdom of the past to um, diversify away from uh, dependence on Russian supply. I think it's, there's a very important message in here about how you now behave around authoritarian regimes. Yeah. And it's not good enough just to continue doing business with them because that seems to be the expedient and the profitable thing to do. And if I can bring up the lack of progress, uh, clearly we're not moving in any direction quickly when it comes to solving the geopolitics here. You've had uh, missiles raining down on Kiev over the weekend again, so we're not seeing the impact on Russia just yet. And all reports too from uh, many uh, major cities in Russia that average people are not feeling any pain from these sanctions at this point. So. It's fascinating, isn't it, that uh, months on, many months on now, we're talking about fresh sanctions to try and stop Russians moving run money across the world. Wasn't that what the impact of immediate sanctions was meant to be? Well, so, the, I mean, the problem yeah. is that these things are not instant, are yeah. they? But I, but I think that Russian citizens are suffering. The question is, does the leadership actually care at this point? The Russians, throughout their history, for centuries have taken the pain that their leaders have foisted upon them mm. and it's happening yet again and I guess nobody thought it would happen in this day and age but apparently not much has really changed. And let's circle back to the big story as French energy CEOs have urged individuals and businesses to cut back on power consumption to prepare for a looming crisis. The chief executives of Engie, EDF and Total warned that sharp declines in Russian gas imports as well as limited electricity generation could cause energy shortages. France's gas storage sites are currently at 59%, but Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne said the country aims to top up its facilities by early autumn. And uh, I can obviously just concur after that recent conversation with Total Energy's uh, CEO Patrick Bouyanet that he was pushing for some sort of change in consumption patterns saying that, look, if you consider the situation, the government does need to communicate some form of cutbacks here. And uh, clearly some of the others are now on board as they communicate this. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay with us. The S&P 500 is on pace for its worst first half since 1970. We'll look back at a volatile first six months for markets and discuss how close we are to finally hitting a bottom. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. St. Louis Fed President James Bullard has called on the Federal Reserve to accelerate its rate hikes and target a key rate of 3.5% by year-end. Bullard says he doesn't expect the U.S. economy to fall into recession, with Fed tightening prompting a uh, moderate slowing at most. What you would like to do, if we can, is uh, nip inflation in the bud before it gets entrenched in the economy get inflation back down uh, toward 2% and, uh, you know, converge to our long-run balanced growth path from the high side 
And um, I'm hopeful that we can do that. But to me, the way to do that is uh, put the interest rate increases sooner and uh, move up, I've said, to 3.5% uh, this year on the policy rate. Uh, let's take a look at uh, the U.S. markets and uh, what we're witnessing at this stage. Uh, very strong across that Friday trade. Uh, real bounce, you can see, for tech stocks. 3.3% firmer, 3% on the S&P 500. Not too far behind for the Dow. A bit of a weak morning session, but after that, stronger for the major markets. And if you think about uh, what we're still witnessing, concerns around the outlook for inflation and monetary policy we're on the eve of earnings season, a lot of uh, reduced guidance from here because of some of those factors. And, of course, the supply chain bottom that continue with the war in Ukraine and the COVID situation in China. So there's still plenty of risks out there. And the question is, what type of green are we looking at on these boards? Is it a bear market rally that looks somewhat strong at this point? And is there more pay to come? Or are we lifting off the bottom here? And I think that's what a lot of investors will be trying to assess at this stage. The Nasdaq year to date is still down deep negative territory, 25 odd percent. But it does get interesting after this rally. You look at the S&P 500 performance now out of that bear market territory, uh, still in correction territory, of course, as we talk about 18 percent off its 52 week highs. But uh, big movers to the upside, for instance, like some Microsoft. That was one of the real market leaders we saw in previous rallies. And of course, Goldman Sachs, too, for the Dow. In terms of treasuries we've come off a little bit from some of the highs the 3.45 we saw on that 10-year recently as the market just tries to judge whether we're going to see the, the pace of tightening that they've started to price in uh, given that there are concerns about what type of landing the u.s economy may suffer 3.16 is where we're traveling so is a fairly significant pullback from that high water range at the short end we're still perched above three percent 3.07 to the dollar some of that weakness in yields are taking dollar to some of the lows that we've seen in recent weeks and you can see in morning session sterling and euro supported both up more than a tenth of a percent the levels 122.83 84 on sterling 105 on euro dollar the uh, greenback uh, weakening versus the japanese yen as well so that is a clawback trade still unfolding dollar weaker versus the chinese currency so it is a, a casualty this morning as you can see the greenback right across the board in terms of futures uh, what are we in store for later on today on wall street more green just moving on to the charts uh, for some of these markets now though the dow you can see just testing out a little bit of red there as well so it is looking a little bit cautious this morning as the market tries to regroup and judge direction from here uh, so there's significant pullback in equities during the first half of the year, which saw the S&P 500 tumble into bear market territory. Has investors now questioning how far away markets are from actually hitting a bottom? What do the technicals tell us about the rebound we saw last week and whether we indeed are going to leave a bear market behind? Rolof Vandenacker joins a senior technical analyst at ING. Uh, Rolof, good morning to you. Um, morning, Jeff. What do you think last week told us then? Yeah, I believe um, we should uh, make a distinction between the longer-term weekly chart and the daily chart. And let's start with the weekly chart. Um, the week before last week, we saw a decline which perfectly ended at the 200-week exponential moving average line at 3640. Last week, solid rise uh, confirms the bottoming scenario above this uh, longer-term moving average line. And uh, I believe we are in the midst of this uh, bottoming process. The last Friday's rally was strong. We had an upside gap. As long as it remains intact above 38.02, we should see further upside potential. There are plenty of gaps. There's much uh, more um, work to be done on the upside to be safe there. But um, a test uh, of the 
um, falling trend line and declining 50-day moving average line, both around the 4,065 levels should be expected uh, on a short-term basis. And then it'll be uh, yeah, very exciting if prices will uh, manage to uh, to break above this line uh, or that we should see again a lower top uh, and a decline. And if the short-term fr last Friday's gap will be closed at 38.02, we should expect another decline within this bottoming process looking at the weekly chart, <clears throat> sorry, uh, solid horizontal support comes in between 32.80 to 32.15. So I believe we are getting there, but I can't rule out a final decline uh, below the 200 week exponential moving average line for a test of the 32.15 to 33.80 level in making a bottom. Obviously, you look for confirmation uh, in the volume and size of market activity as you yeah. analyze those numbers how good have they been in confirming your headline analysis that we may now actually be bottoming um yeah i believe um, um looking at the for instance at the uh, at the momentum chart in the weekly chart it's extremely oversold it's below the 2020 low below the uh, even below the um, bear market's 2009 low so, to my opinion, um, it has been a rough first six months of this year. Um, it was uh, was a, a decent decline, but I believe, uh, based on these uh, technicals, uh, you should expect that a bottom should not be far away. And uh, we are, as, as mentioned, within the bottoming process. But uh, I cannot rule out a final decline in making this low and the start of, uh, of the next uh, solid rally. How unusual is that? So we've had some very strange charts to, to witness lately. I mean, incredible volatility. Can you just contextualise what that has really looked like in through your lens uh, over the last uh, number of months? Yeah, for instance, uh, look at uh, these uh, gaps within the, within the S&P 500 index recently. That's, that's also very rare. We even had last week uh, a downside gap uh, on, the, uh, on the weekly chart. It has been closed in the end by last Friday's solid rise. Uh, but as I mentioned, the upside gap last Friday, there's also still a downside gap which needs to be filled between uh, 3974 and uh, 4018. So there are these, this is confirmed by the plenty of gaps, uh, upside and downside based on this volatility. So um, yeah, that's, that's, that's confirming the situation that it's, uh, that it's a very uh, volatile and, and dangerous market uh, from time to time. We've seen the volatility spill across to foreign exchange markets too. And to some of the majors, I mean, dollar-yen levels have just been extraordinary. The 136 handle, we've peeled off that slightly, but still we haven't moved too far from these uh, highs on the dollar-yen trade. What do you see from here? Yeah, I believe there's a very uh, important signal um, uh, given within the dollar-yen. Um, this, uh, this year, on March, there was a 20-year falling trend line broken above uh, uh, 114 Point fifty within the monthly chart, and, and that suggests that we should see f further upside potential within the building of a large bottom formation, uh, a rally towards the uh, strong horizontal resistance at 160 to 165 should be expected within the coming months, possibly next year, with intermediate strong horizontal resistance coming in at 147.15. So there's definitely uh, further upside potential left for the um, um, for dollar yen. Uh, and on a short-term basis, if prices uh, will successfully consolidate above the uh, 132 to 130.70 support area, 
uh, then it should be followed by uh, a continuation of the uptrend towards new short-term highs. And as mentioned, first horizontal resistance comes in at uh, 147.15 uh, if we should see a sustainable rally in continuing the uptrend. Right. And Roloff, we have been closely watching oil markets. Brent flat for the week last week, uh, tug of war between concerns over recession potentially, but also supply issues. Just give us a sense as to whether you see any clear direction on Brent. Yeah, I believe uh, Brent is uh, building a large uh, trading range, and I believe it could continue for months. Uh, possibly it has been the, the most crowded trade here. Uh, everybody is looking uh, for a higher oil price. Uh, but um, looking at this range in a daily chart, we see uh, strong horizontal resistance coming in between 135 to 130. Uh, last week, uh, it was a decline within Brent oil, but prices successfully tested the 50-day moving average line is on 10.40. Uh, but in the end, I believe um, the lower end of this training range comes in around 91. And I would not be surprised that it will continue between 91 and the 25 to 130 for the for the within the next um, uh, six months of this year. So sideways would be my preferable uh, recommendation here. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.